David. <laughs> Today is June 12, 2020, Friday of the 10th week in Ordinary Time, and you are tuned into Deacon's Discussions and Drinks. Quit laughing at me because I'm singing. Wait till Sunday, you'll hear me singing. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to all our listeners as we kick off the weekend here from the Cardone Recording Studio. I'm Deacon Tim Stout. I'm Deacon Dallas Kelly. I'm Father Nguyen. We got a visitor here. What's his name? Hey, everybody. It's Father Norman Fisher from St. Peter Claver Little Church of Big Heart Getting Bigger and Lex Catholic Chaplain. Good to be with you. Wow, that's a, that's a long title. <laughs> <laughs> But that's good, right? Long titles are good. That means you're busy. Mm, that's definitely one descriptor. <laughs> so, hey, welcome to the studio. Thanks. Good to be with you guys. Uh, appreciate you all and uh, Father Lynn and uh, just this effort. It's a great tool of evangelization. Well, like I told you earlier, this is number 12 for us. We think we think they keep getting better, but you know, nobody tells us that they're not. So we're going to keep doing it until... <laughs> Either something happens or the bishop tells us to stop. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't happen. But we always kick off the show, Father Norman, with a, a, a segment that we call current events or topics. And uh, usually I have to start because those guys don't really have anything. Oh, they, I had one and, last month. And they, last and they think on the fly. So we'll let you go last in case you want to think of a current event and you want to contribute. Don't No pressure. You don't have to. Okay? Yes. I'm going to see what's current with you guys. <laughs> so... Do you want to go first again, Dallas, or yeah, follow in? I'll go again. Okay. Okay, mine is uh, two brothers ordained Catholic priest on the same day in Denver, Colorado. Peyton and Connor, and I'm going to butcher that last name, Plezella, are brothers from Mobile, Alabama. They're 18 months apart, one school grade apart. Despite the occasional competitiveness and squabbles that many brothers experienced growing up, They've always been best friends. We're closer than best friends, Connor, told CNA. As young men in grade school, high school, college, much of their lives centered around the things you might expect, academics, friends, girlfriend, and sports. There are many paths the two young men could have chosen for their lives, but ultimately last month they arrived at the same place, lying face down in front of the altar, giving their lives over in service to God in the Catholic Church. Wow. It wonder, goes on. There's more, but... wonder how often that happens. I mean, brothers getting ordained. Yeah. Obviously, you, so, were, you were ordained. Your brother was ordained, but not on the same day. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> they would have been fighting. We were watching a fight. <laughs> was good, though. I, I was ordained before him. And so I was able to put my hand on his head and mess with his hair oh. <laughs> still remember to this day so you were at his ordination yeah and he was at yours but he was at yours as a lay person as a lay person where was yeah. he ordained it was at in texas fort Worth, texas okay yeah and this was in colorado mm-hmm. wow. and well, then i've had uh, some twins um some african-american twins they were the, actually historically the first black twin priests they were for the society of divine word svds uh chuck fathers chuck and chester and just um, about a month ago, uh, Father Charles uh, went home to God. But amazing dynamic duo. Wow. I mean, that's got to really change the family dynamic a lot. I mean, sure for you as mm-hmm. well, but to, to be, I'm assuming maybe it doesn't say if they went to seminary together or did. did they did. did, it, did yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's just, to me, that's, that's a heck of a bond. Absolutely. I mean, bro- your brothers. You can't say brother. brother. You can't say brothers from another mother. You can't say <laughs> brothers from the same mother. Also brothers, just brothers and brothers. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Two forms of brothers. That's a uh, that's a good one, Dallas. I like that one. How about you, Father Lynn? You have anything? Are you here? saying you didn't like my other ones through the weeks? <laughs> you try. That's not what it sounds like. <laughs> 
You want me to go, or you got something? Oh, uh, I do. I do. I do. You're not going to take uh, mine, Army. You're not going to take mine, because I write mine down. Oh, you can have that. Too, too political. Mine was, <laughs> I read a great article, which I think I thought I sent to you. Oh, you on, did? Yeah. On Priest of, in, was that uh, New York Times, right? An article on dedicate of the priest that dealing with COVID-19 and the go to anointing mm. phenomenal article and at the same time a, a, I think it's a dear priest friend of mine uh, Father Duan is in uh, California just passed away from COVID-19 he was phenomenal priest uh, ordained 25 years just mm. um, died from coronavirus wow yeah and and so you know it, it's uh, did, did he uh, contract the disease because of of the work that he was doing? Yeah, and, and we got one of the brother priests in uh, in Danville, right, Norman? Uh, Father Anthony McLaughlin contracted. He overcame uh, that. Uh, he okay. overcame it, but he he got it in his ministry. Um, you know, we don't. It, it's very vulnerable being a priest, especially in the sacrament anointing, uh, in the work we encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, 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 it's all part of that risk, right? Absolutely. But it's a risk for the glory of God. So um, that article is worth finding and reading. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll get it posted up at posted up here on Facebook here under, under the comments before we get done here. But great article, New York Times. A lot of photos yes. in there. It shows uh, image. the priest in uh, disposable, um, what's the word? I don't know, even know what you call it, but the full face shield mask, P- the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Gown, like a disposable P-E. gown. P-E. So, I mean, it was a great article, and it, it, I thought, I always think that a picture is worth a thousand words. So when you see what, how he's ministered, there's actually a picture of a, of a, a of an elder, an elderly ill person laying in the bed, and he's got his hand on, on their leg. Mm. I mean, it's just, the, the image is just so striking. Well, that was a friend of mine, you know, I sent to, to her, and she said, well, we all ask everybody to pray for the responder, but no one pray for priests in this time of pandemic. Uh, and <laughs> but that's it, a, you're right. It's the same discussion we had last week about essential, right? Right. You, you know, um, we've our culture has seemed to have forgotten that essential should include priests as first responders and church as an essential yep. essential. I'm going to say business, but as an essential entity that people need, right? We forget we forget that our government sometimes forgets that. Um, but obviously, priest very very critical. Yeah, I didn't stop being important. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> like in the not so narcissistic way, but I didn't stop being uh, needed. I guess for people who actually it was so ironic during the pandemic that confessions were coming out of the woodwork like oh, yeah. people were calling that i've never met or never would have experienced normally um and they were saying i hadn't been to confession in six years do you mind and i'd find a space i'd find the plot you know obviously the hall and just sort of be six feet apart and all of that sanitization all that but it was not uncommon right away when the church was shut down that people are requesting reconciliation and sacrament of anointing. And do, you, stuff. do you think that is because they were afraid of contracting the virus and dying? Or do you think that it just gave people more time to think about what the heck is more important? I think it lives? was, I think it was that because when you have such a pandemic and you start seeing things here, you can't control, like you can't control your job. You can't control your health now, it, or you can in some ways, but you can't stop this pandemic from like, you can't come over here. No, it's it's going to find you, right? So it it really sifted. I, I think of the word like sifted or shifted our perspective on what and who matters most and who's in our lives. Um, so I think in so many ways, um, confession was a, a really soulful remedy uh, to know that I think God matters to me now. And let me just start over. Let me just refresh who I am and and let God speak to me once again. Good point. We we had a little bit of a talk about that last week about you know our, our concerns about how many people will come back to will you know you've got that group of people like you that are that you just described searching wanting wanting more of their faith when they can't have it but what about the people that don't have it yeah. <laughs> that 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 don't come back because they've they get into a routine or 
they feel like, hey, I was without church for so long, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, you know how the Lord, he's uh, raining on both the good and the evil. His shower, he's loving, he's showering everyone at this time. And grace is, I keep on thinking of the word grace. Even in this time of, you know, we'll get talk, talk about that a little bit, um, you know, racial division and things like that. God's love is coming down on everybody and his grace to find a way to help each other and lift each other up, lean on me, if you will, um, is happening. So I, I think like grace is happening in the midst of these times. And we have to be open to that grace. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, water can wear down a rock. <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm in the rock business. I know that very, very well. Right, right. Yes. Just keep yes. on. Keep rock on. is hard, but water is stronger. Isn't that something? <laughs> it's an amazing thing. Well, real quick, my current event was uh, just this week. The Massachusetts Joint Committee on Public Health reported Massachusetts Senate Bill 2745 is favorable. And you say, what is Senate Bill 2745? Commonly known as the Physician Assisted Suicide Bill. So here we go. But but what is it saying? What did the bill that physician assisted suicide will be legal? Um, to be legal. So, yeah. Uh, the 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 Catholic uh, conference in Massachusetts has a whole list of things that they don't like about the bill. It was too long for me to write down and read off twelve things, but you know, from access to the medication to a physician not having to be present. Uh, you know, so if you take you take these pills by yourself in your home, that's that's a problem by itself. Mm. And then if something goes wrong, you're by yourself. And then if you have these pills in your home, somebody you have a kid or somebody that in your house that t- grabs a pill. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's just so much so much wrong with it, just from that perspective, from the the process part of it, but from the the morality. And the ethics side of it, to me, it's opening a door in this country, obviously, that we feel like has been a, been open for a while when we talk about abortion and we talk about uh, immigration and we talk about capital punishment. And we talk about these different things on, on a pro-life position, euthanasia. And, uh, and my, my Baptist preacher, I've worked with a St. Baptist preacher for 20 years, and he's always my, he's the guy who's way out there. And whatever he says is way out there, I say, hey, that's not going to happen. And then it starts happening. <laughs> and this is one of them. You, you know, this whole euthanasia thing, I, I thought, man, that's not going to come to this country. Yeah, but you mentioned something like something could go wrong at the home. Well, in this case, we want something to go wrong, right? <laughs> if something went wrong, you're living, you know. So, right. uh, yeah, I mean, it just, to me, it's, it's, just, it's just a sad state of affairs that we have such disregard for human life. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just sad. So I hate to be the, the down... I can lift you guys up though. Go ahead. Dun dun dun. He looked one up real quick. I got a current. Well, it just posted it. It's so funny. I was like, hey, I just posted something that's current. Uh, 53 years ago, this day um, was legalization of interracial marriage uh, swept across our and was made legal across our nation. And and that's thanks to an interracial couple, uh, black um, groom and an African American bride. Mildred and Richard Loving. And there's a movie about that, that couple actually. Um, and they paved the way. And I think of uh, my brother-in-law and my sister, Marie and Brian, who's an interracial couple, my dad and my mom, who's an interracial couple. Um, I think that, you know, love makes a way, you know, love finds a way, but it, it didn't come without the sacrifices for having to present your case of why you should marry someone who you already know God has blessed you with and love and called you to love as a vocation. So I don't even know how they would not deem it sacramental, but we all know that that was a case before in the Catholic Church is interracial marriages, and and you can't do that in the sanctuary. Let's do that in the uh, rectory. So that's an issue of that hasn't been without an issue in the Catholic Church too. But here it is, fifty three years ago. Yeah, that but that wasn't just because I think if you wasn't baptized, you couldn't get married in right in, right in the rectory. Because I know somebody. Who had to get married in the rectory? Right, exactly, exactly. I think there was just like there's more churches and pastors that were not comfortable marrying interracial couples, and so they said, "Oh, you go to St. Paul's because we ain't doing that here at St. Peter's or something to that effect." Wow, didn't know that. I mean, I I didn't know that. Yeah, and and, and I might say that a lot tonight. Um, 
just as we talk about different topics, because one of the things that I've been doing this past week is I've been reading the biography of Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously that's one of the things we want to talk about today, racism. And and I, I think to understand where we're at today, you have to understand where we came from. And, and I think for me, as I read, I haven't, I mean, I threw all of it, but, you know, I, I know who who he he was uh i thought i understood his i'm gonna call it his ministry um it was brief 12 years i was i was shocked at that a guy that had such impact and and only lasted 12 years i thought that was amazing um and then the whole thing that started started his movement and his public ministry i would say is the the montgomery bus situation and rosa parks and if you would ask me if i knew what what happened there i would say yeah i know what happened there I didn't know what happened. <laughs> I do now. But I, th- I think that's one of the things for me uh, and my t- takeaway from where we are today is that I've got a lot to learn. And, you know, you got you to gotta start somewhere. We can't just keep saying, uh, you know, we can't keep saying we know that doesn't affect us, doesn't influence us, has no effect on what we're doing in in our parish or in our community or whatever and it does we and we have to we have to understand it and to understand it requires effort mm-hmm. well you, you kind of can make a comment with uh you told me about uh coach mitchell yeah i just yeah. Uh, had a, a prayer service last thursday and our deanery faith deanery was um on tuesday we met they were they were all uh from the parish pastoral life directors to the pastors of the faith region and um, deacons and so on and so forth. They were like, we've got to do something. We've got to come together. We've, what are we doing? <laughs> and so I said, well, as Catholics, as Christians, we sort of all are about healing and maybe we should offer some prayer and, and gather us in not a protest way, but in a different kind of way. And all of a sudden they said, oh, you want to host it? And I'm like, oh man. <laughs> um, and then, oh, can you like literally put it together? And I'm like, oh man. <laughs> So here we are. Uh, I have two days to get it together. I asked the bishop on a whim. He says, I'm in, I'm coming. I'm like, okay, that's check. But then everything else, I just sort of asked the Lord, right? Because that's always good to do. Ask the Holy Spirit to help with this whole thing because I literally had two days. And not only that, but people started hearing about it. And then they started saying, you know, news channels started. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Uh, So now it's a matter of, Who's going to be reading? Who's going to be presenting? Who's going to be sharing? Well, I figured Coach Mitchell is a rallier. You know, you see him. He's very energetic. He's an, he's an he likes to dance. He likes, he likes to, dance. to dance. And I figured he might do something like that. No, I'm just kidding. I figured like he <laughs> Driving would, on his motorcycle. <laughs> he might give us some inspiration just because he's responsible for a lot of uh, African-American student athletes uh, as well as has a great coaching staff. And his testimony – totally went a way that I did not expect. Uh, and that was essentially uh, that um, he, in the wake of uh, George Floyd, he was already scheduled to leave the country and go for some vacation time with his family, much needed, um, and a blessing. And when the news broke about George Floyd, he sort of was shielded from it. He obviously was shielded by being in another country. But when he came back, Everyone was saying, you need to say something. You need to, you need to make a statement. And he was feeling a little bit resentful about, what do you mean? I need to make a statement. I mean, that's not really, that didn't impact me. So, you know, he felt sort of defensive um, and resentful for that, which then his wife said, you need to, if you don't say something, you're a coward. And he said that publicly. <laughs> and so, and she's an awesome, amazing Catholic. And she was able to obviously reach him, but also the staff. Once she said, you know what, I better find out what's going on. So he called a Zoom meeting and, and shared with, had all the team players and all the coaches, assistants share. And that's when he broke down. He literally broke down and he said that, how could I have overlooked all of these beautiful people that I take for granted. Now I didn't realize I was taking them for granted because I wasn't looking from their perspective with even something that mattered to them, something that that was offending them, something that was overwhelming them. And so he broke down into tears as he was telling us this. Uh, And he says, I want to sit in this uncomfortability and this discomfort because I'm not going to, I don't want to ever take my 
team and the people that I love and care for for granted. And I need to. And so he made the statement, obviously, and, and came out with that. But it was I did not expect him to go into that place of re- recognizing that he had privileges and he had he had an, an in, he was insulated from the racial disparity and any kind of discrimination that his players may be feeling uh, or or even subject to. Is that is that was that did you get the idea that that was because inside the program there there is racial harmony inside the program and that's where his focus was always in it wasn't on what the forces were outside looking in I think again I think like everybody does get along on the team absolutely he loves his teammate he loves his team and they they have mad respect for him but I think like when everything's good it's good but if when everything's bad I'm not on for that right and, and so, and he's not aware of it. And yeah, and coaching isn't just when we win and when we maybe lose here, but it's also off the court. And you sort of see that's the truth with every player. Players aren't just athletes any longer; they are advocates, as you know, has sure. has been a trend nowadays. So you have to when you coaching uh, an athlete, it's not you're just coaching their athletic ability. You're you're coaching their their spirit. You're coaching their person. They're, you're coaching someone who has great days and, and tough days. So I think he definitely ex- was more vulnerable than ever before. And I think that, that he definitely has sta- – he's raised up for the occasion. But I think it was very humbling for him and you know very emotional for him to get up there. And he did not plan on knowing exactly what he was going to say. And I didn't ex- at all – plan on hearing anything like what he said. So I, wow. I commend him and I, I'm very grateful for his friendship. He's been a very good friend to me in my parish too. Does he, he's Catholic. Yes. Wife's Catholic. Mm-hmm. Goes to church at your church. Christ or? the King. Christ but the he's, King. he's definitely a friend and it's, it's been a blessing along the way. Coach Cal's Catholic, but his wife's not right. 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 Just want to get the Catholic players <laughs> lined out a little bit. So Mitchell, Mitchell goes to Christ the King. Mm-hmm. I thought he went to, um, Peter Claver? No, um, Mary Queen. Mary Queen. No, he, he was uh, his wife was brought into the church mm-hmm. there. I just uh, my son in law is a football coach, and he's probably listening tonight. Uh, but I, I've always got that impression how you describe the relationship internal. I mean, I, I don't. I'm obviously I'm not with him all the time, but I think that that bond between a coach and a player is a special bond, mm-hmm. and. Just to, to hear this story of, of Matthew Mitchell, I think there's a lot of coaches doing that across the country. Right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, even you got Drew Brees, you got his wife just being aware on not a patriotic level, but on a respect level, just trying to hear why people are kneeling as opposed to what well, you're kneeling there for. Uh, and I think that, you know, there's a there's a grace, like I was mentioning before, there's a grace that we all need right now to not react and try to keep everything status quo. Uh, but to actually look at things while things are being sort of shifted, like I mentioned earlier, uh, it's there's a grace to see how other people see. There's a grace to walk how other people walk. Um, and I think for so many years, um, even with the issue of police brutality, certain statistics point to or indicate that certain groups are getting targeted more intentionally and more viciously and, and even a tinge of racism and bias. Uh, so... It's like we have to look at, you know, I, I love my police officers and hung out with some last week and bought them coffee, you know, prayed with, uh, um, I guess, the um, uh, da, 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 who is the responsible for the police chief. Yes, Weathers, Mr. Officer Weathers. Um, and there is a need for prayer and unity more than ever with our police force. Um, but also there are police forces that may indeed have some uh, some real tinge of corruption, that there are systems that protect one another from even calling each other out. And so I think there is some real, and some cops are actually coming out with honest statements about some of their precincts got some funk. And so it's important to, during this time of grace, to say, you know what, we're here to maybe, as civilians, help you to be accountable to some of that. And I think that's not a bad thing. I I agree that there are some bad cops out there, <laughs> and it's it's something I think nobody really wants to talk about, right? We just don't want to talk about it because it's not affecting us. 
And then, but when it affects you, it's too late to talk about it at that point. There should have been action before that. One of the things we did touch on a little bit last week was the issue of no knock warrants. And I think I, what I said last week was, how in the heck is that legal in the United States? You know, but it is. And, you know, I, I think there's going to be some action on that. There was a bill that was introduced by Rand Paul this week in the, in the Senate to uh, make those illegal. Um, but it goes beyond that, right? It goes beyond that. It goes beyond. There's a culture shift we yeah. have to be aware of. And I think, I think there's this low level of uncomfortableness that is, is in the air. People are not, if you're, if you're a white person and you're not in a very integrated community, you think, how does it affect me? And you want to say, yeah, okay, what can I do? But you don't know what to do. Right. And I think that's what makes that uncomfortable is, you know, what's the right thing to do? Because that's one of the biggest questions I've seen. That's the, and we'll get to this Father Cyprian uh, Davis pledge, but that's mm-hmm. one of the questions that one of the professors at St. Myers said, you know, we're hearing this question a lot. What do we do? Because everybody wants to do something, but they don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, uh, I've been writing my manifesto that I shared with you all last week. It's about, for me, it's about movement. We can't stand still. We have to move, and I've got six or seven points of movement that I want to talk about in a homily in a couple of weeks, so I'm going to save it. <laughs> save Give it short. <laughs> uh, wonder if Father A-Rock's listening. I'm going to use his three points of three points. <laughs> but my, one of my points is, is about uh, you can't just sit still and wait for something to happen or wait for something to pull you in. You have to seek out that movement. And for me, you know, the easiest thing that, that I could that I could latch on to was, hey, let's let's look at some history. You know, let's go back and, and look at, uh, you know, where the civil rights uh, movement really took hold in Alabama. And let's learn a little bit more about that and what happened from there forward. And, uh, you know, there, there's some good stuff in there. There's some bad stuff in there too, in in Martin Luther King Jr.'s biography, uh, but don't we all? There's good and bad and everything, and I think to fully understand and comprehend what what's gone on in history, you've got to mm-hmm. we've got to go back and read about it. I, I would think, and I'm just making this up because I have no idea, but I would say the vast majority of people, because we're so far we're so far away from it now, right? What was it 1963 or so? I mean. 50 plus years ago. Yeah. I think honestly, I've been awakened a little bit too. Um, I was blessed to go to Ghana uh, with ABLE, which is an acronym for Assisting Better Living Everywhere, founded by um, Dr. Smith and Dr. Todd. And they were already working through the cathedral. I think Father Charles Howell and Father, um, our good Jesuit buddy, uh, Father Gino, they all would go to. Um, the community, a community and a rural community in Ghana, in Asasan, and they they built a church there, and it was a beautiful reality of creating li- assisted live or creating living for a community that probably would never have had housing. Uh, so now I'm, you know, they unfortunately now have passed passed on, but their grandchildren are going on these mission trips, and I they needed a chaplain, so I was blessed to go a couple of times. Going there, I mean, it's beautiful land, beautiful people, different kinds of foods and things. But uh, we we raised money to build up a school and build a medical clinic. Okay, so I had like you wore concrete bags on your head, and you know it was rough. I mean, it was hardcore living. Like you know, move over weed whacker, you got a machete. You know, like literal. There's no there's no that's a lot of work. There's no lawnmowers. (laughs) I'm just saying. Um, And one of the excursion trips was the slave castles. Um, Elmina was one of the largest ones on the the West coast. And to go into this portal where hundreds and thousands and ultimately millions would be funneled out on on little rowboats and then brought into cargo ships. And, you know, a third, you know, maybe a third survived out of all those ships coming from, you know, England, Portuguese, the Dutch, they're very much in the slave trade. Um, obviously some Catholic realities going on. Um, and here's this, 
reality where they're separated from their husbands or not husbands maybe, but their families, the dads, the moms, and they were the children, the women were exploited and abused by the slave masters. And, you know, it was just horrid, wretched and where they were kept. And we walked down into these, the bottom dungeons where they were being held and you could smell, you could feel it was just so visceral. And then if you were acted, if you acted out and you were causing an uprising, they would put you in this, this room is small, but it'd be about this room and it was pitch black and there's like a couple slits above really high. So you couldn't climb out or anything. And there was obviously no food. They even had a skull and crossbones uh, over the door. Cause you weren't going to live. You're going to just go in there and you're going to pretty much be your subject to death. Well, we went in there and we all held hands and we just could feel the sadness in that space. And I just told everybody, let's all sing amazing grace. Cause that was that song by the slave captain who wrote that, um, who had his own conversion after being a slave captain, wrote that song, Amazing Grace. And we all just hummed, hummed it and sang it. And I just realized that, you know, it truly wasn't uh, something that now we're realizing that slavery, it happened to be the African people that could endure possibly the hardships and the field of the crops. But the most, the truth of this is it was an economic, it was a color, you know, not green, but it was the gold. It was the making profit off of a people. And if you go back to 1619 and when the first slaves came in, that's in our country anyways, in Virginia, that was when the ideas and the prejudice and the system started to begin that this group of people is nothing but my cash crop. They're my livestock. And that's the kind of subjugation that, and then you have slave, you have uh, the civil war, which again was all about economics and the black peoples were subject to that kind of perspective when then you had the nation split. Um, And so black peoples were sort of always in the middle of greed and extortion and exploitation and subjugation, and they weren't considered human. And that's what I, I still believe that's why we're still seeing traces and remnants. Like you have the Ahmad Aubrey case in, in Georgia when a guy was just running. Yeah. He might've went into the house, but a lot of people it was recorded went into this house to see what was going to, what was it going to be like? And they just found out that the truck hit him first. They had cotton fibers of his sweatsuit on the truck and then his hand smudged and I tried to hold onto the truck and smudged and then they shot him and then they said blank inward right i mean it was very blatant racial murder attack and i think that why does that even exist well we have centuries now of hardened hearts we have centuries now of only seeing people as you're you're only as good as i can use you and if you're taken away from me then you're a threat. So I need to make sure there's more structures and systems in place that I don't have to deal with you being near me or, or how I'm, you said something earlier, but I have to learn. I think sometimes you have to unlearn, unlearn fear, unlearn hate. Uh, I was just asked by um, a lawyer, a friend of mine, um, Bob Hoffer in Northern Kentucky. He does a lot of mustard seed mission trips to Jamaica. And he asked me to do a reflection and I was like, oh, gosh, here I'm asked to do something more again. Okay, God help me. Well, I find that um, prayer service, and it was really good because in the prayer service, and I'm dealing with a, it's a Zoom meeting for 100. Wow. And I'm having to facilitate it. And what I realized was there's a part of that prayer service, which I can forward to you guys, about an examination of conscience. How many of us examine our conscience regarding specifically prejudice, racism, our own biases. I, I mean, how often do I do it? So we, I took everybody through it slowly after reading the gospel about Jesus was asked, who is, you know, who is my neighbor? And so the whole good parable of a good Samaritan, and it just sort of really helped people and people at the very end says, you know, that was, that was spot on. I was struggling and this sort of cleared some stuff out that I didn't really want to deal with. So 
Um, I think like right now in this in this time and age, we do have to not only look at the civil rights movement, which is important and which obviously we're benefiting from the the, mar- the blood of the, those who in the sweat and the tears of, of our struggles of the struggles of those who are a- activists and advocates. But we have to go, I think, even across the ocean, across the Atlantic and understand the the issue of why people have been seen in this country as only a people who could gain economically, have economic gains for other people. You know, this kind of thing is head on. You know, the writing of Pope Francis is very clear about the opportunity to encounter, encounter Jesus in each other. Okay, we, we live in a culture that's so indifferent. You know, we, we become so comfortable in our own segregated reality. And we never talk to each other at all, you know. And, and so, and, and so, you know, his writing is very clear. When he talk about the Laudato Sea, you know that that we call it the environment. He didn't talk about the, the so called worldly environment at all. He talked about feed feed the people, you know, to really encounter one another. And, and, and you know, for a long time, black and white, yellow and green, we kind of enjoy our own segregated reality. We enjoy being segregated. And until something like this happened and we say, whoa. You know, because because deep inside every one of us, we want justice. We want to belong. We want to to be with somebody. And and so for a long time, you know, I told you earlier, in, in Scott County, you know, as minister we want to get together but nobody wants to be interested about it. But when something like this happened, all of a sudden, everyone wants to be a part of it. I said, what the hell were you 13 years ago? You know, it, 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 like you say, I, you hit head on. God's grace is working. Are we going to capitalize on God's grace? Mm. It, it's so crucial. You know, it's so important. Right now, it come out with a vengeance, you know, because everybody wants to do something. You know, every sector. I didn't know there were three groups of folks in Scott County, in Georgetown. <laughs> you know, there's a lot more. But the idea is that are we willing to to learn from the past and truly experience from the present and so we can move to the future because there's so many layers demonic that, that, that resting within human. You know, as you brought about the, the slavery right now, my head thinking about you know, the human trafficking right now. Mm-hmm. My God. Is the ultimate business right now more than pornography? Is the business human trafficking, and it's a race is rooted in that. So, the issue as a Catholic Church, we all address the social justice issue is bigger than what George Floyd in matter. But it, it, it each and every one of us has to to take it on. Mm-hmm. I think I think in general, in our human nature, we look to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. We don't look to be uncomfortable, right? And so, you know, we, we, I hate to say we withdraw to our communities, but that's what it really amounts to. We, we live in our communities, even if you look at Georgetown versus Lexington, if we don't have to go to Lexington, that's great, right? We're just going to live in Georgetown because if we have to go to Lexington, we get uncomfortable, right? We got, you all have more traffic up there. It's just, it's a different, it's different. And we want to be comfortable. And I think, that's human nature to look inward to what makes me happy and the things that don't influence me or don't affect me, I don't have to worry about. <clears throat> and I think in that case, we we aren't living the life we're called to live. Well, you know what happened to prophets. <laughs> I mean, hey, you want to hang out with me, guys? No, you speak too much truth, dude. <laughs> you know, buzzkill, you know. And I mean, I think you're right in, in one sense, but I think in – in this day and age, we have to be like I gave I posted about like a skipped record. You know, nobody likes a skipped record, right? Or a scratched record that keeps on skipping back over and playing over the same thing. And I'm thinking injustice is that very reality is a a record with a scratch. So you either got to fix the scratch or you just get a new one. And I think like right now we're looking at our scratches and we're looking at how the heck did we come this far? Keep on playing the same song. I agree with that. As you mentioned that, you know, Pope John 23rd, what did he say? 
You want justice? Work, Work for, for peace. peace. Yeah. Got to have peace. You know, Tim mentioned uh, being uh, uncomfortable. I, I, I remember when I read, you know, our first 33 popes were martyred. Can you imagine, you know, when you get up to, you know, 10, 11, 12, 15, you know, they know what happened, and then they come to you and say, Father Norman, you've been elected pope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. No. <laughs> it's, an, it's a death sentence, you know. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, and that's the thing. It's like to be a Christian. I mean, we just had the celebration of Pentecost. Well, Holy Spirit didn't just come down for you all to just stay stuck and looking at your belly buttons. I mean, to be filled with Holy Spirit means you go out, you know, and you, you set the world on fire and you share this good news and it might cost you your life. It might cost you your dignity. In fact, you know, there's a lot of businesses that may have stepped up and says, I want to honor this, but now everyone's going to look at that business saying, uh, I don't really know about you now. You're a suspect. Uh, it, that, and that happens all the time, right? And it yeah. happens on whatever side of the issue you're on, whether you're on the left side or the right side, you know, I'm going to boycott you because I don't believe hundred percent of what you said. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, case in point, you know, hashtag current events. Um, Starbucks was like, no, you can't wear any BLM and you can't express your affiliation like that. And then all of a sudden they got all this boycott stuff and they says, uh, later on this very, very day, it was like yesterday they were, everybody's upset. And today they're like, we have changed our statement that everyone can wear that, you know, that's artwork. They said, did you see the artwork they put out? I, didn't I see mean, that. it was like, yeah, but okay, when, they went the other way. Like, but when you see companies do that, that's not because they, uh, that's that's financial. And that's what I'm saying. Right. Guess okay. what? It's a financial. We care thing. now that it's going to hurt my pocketbook. Right. Yeah. And but notice again, that's a financial issue. I think that we have to look at racism as a financial issue. We have to be honest about our greed. We have to look at ourselves because if I if if I see that my if my pocketbook matters more than you, I still got an issue. It's not about racism; it's about my own selfishness and my own greed. Uh, and and yes, I might put hire people who are my front persons to make it spin on it. But the issue at the end of the day is it was all about money. It was all about economics. It wasn't about harmony at all. No, and that that happens in business every second, right? I mean, that's a good friend of mine was, uh, he's been in the same industry for 40 years, same company for 25 years, COVID hits, they're a publicly traded company. They got to think, okay, what are we doing here? Let's, let's furlough everybody for two weeks. So they furlough everybody for two weeks and then they got to make their financial numbers for wall street. So then they start firing people, Mm. you know, and here's somebody that's been with them 30 years and has spectacular reviews, but it's a number. You know, and, I, and I, to me, that's hard. I'm, I'm glad I work for a family-owned business because, obviously, if we don't make money, we're out of business. Okay, there is that certain element of that, and you want to make money. But you also have to treat your people in a way, in a manner that supports the dignity of human life. And mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the things that, you know, I mentioned to you, I, I worked with a Baptist minister for the last 20 years. We work really well together. We, He's trying to convert me. I'm trying to convert him. We'll see who wins. But... <laughs> It's Jesus wins. <laughs> I'm going to use that. Well if, well, if Jesus wins in that case, he'll be Catholic. <laughs> oh, hello. Right. Hello. So, uh, but, you know, we, we go back and forth a lot. But one of the things that we really have tried to do is run the business in a way that is ethically and morally sound. Mm-hmm. That we put those things first. And I honestly believe that if you do that, the financial part will take care of itself. Absolutely. And, you know, there's so many companies out there, and the big companies don't have that luxury. Mm-hmm. They have to make a number. If they don't make the number, Starbucks is a great example. If the sales go down in the same stores year over year, that manager's not going to be there. That's just the cold hard facts. And so, it, yeah. And if it, they don't make the number for Wall Street, then that CEO's not going to be there. So, but we just built this store. <laughs> <laughs> well, you saw that too, right? Where Starbucks, as a result of COVID, is closing three hundred. 300 stores in North America, mm-hmm. and they're going to redesign all their stores just really to be carry-out only. Ooh. Who's that? Starbucks. Starbucks. Oh, yeah. so, I didn't see that. So the impact on people is undetermined, really, yeah. right? Because it's we're chasing the, the almighty dollar. Yeah. So next steps, what would you say? Next steps for, I think you said something about Father Cyprian and David's pledge, the late... I did. Uh, 
Dr. Kimberly Baker, who is was one of uh, Deacon Dallas and I's professors at St. Madrid, and then as I continued to work on my master's, I took another class with her. Uh, obviously, Father Cyprian Davis was at uh, St. Uh, St. Madrid. Uh, he was the uh, legendary scholar of church history as it relates to the to black Catholics. He wrote the book. Literally, he wrote the book on the history of black Catholics in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, he set out with a historian's task to make the past speak, to highlight what has been hidden, and to retrieve a mislaid memory. I mean, when you, when you, it kind of describes what you were talking about, Father Norman, you know, to highlight what has been hidden. No, I, to me that that's kind of racism in the twenty first century, twentieth century, right? We don't like to talk about it. We'd like to think that it's been corrected, uh, but we have to highlight that. And 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 what what Doctor Baker is basically saying is, look, you have to choose to do something. You cannot not do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for her, what she said that she was going to do. Was she was going to read a um, a book? What was the book here? She is going to read uh, a biography of Father Augustus Tolton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's up for canonization. In fact, he's already venerable. So they're just waiting. I think maybe one more miracle. But he is the first black priest. He wasn't even allowed to be ordained in this country. He had to go to Rome. Wow. In so, Quincy, Illinois. So that would be a good read, too. So I, I'm going to finish this this first biography on Martin Luther King Jr. I, I like the idea of – I like to read, so that's something that's that's good for me. Uh, I love the idea of Ghana. Uh, one of our deacon uh, – two of our deacon friends go to Ghana, have gone to Ghana. Uh, Are we going to do a show in Ghana? Let's do it. This travel has a travel case, but uh, Nick has been to Ghana – uh, several times, Nick Nickel, and he's uh, been everywhere. And Lee, uh, <coughs> Deacon Lee Ferguson, I think went with him mm-hmm. last time. I was there with him. Oh, you went with him? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. When they came back, they told us all about it. They didn't. They never mentioned, mentioned you. Mentioned your yeah, name. They probably thought I was native. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. I blend in so good. Do they speak French in Ghana? No, they speak um, Fonti. Fonti. Yeah, Madasi means like thank you, and Aquaba means hello. To me, that would be the ultimate, you know, to be able to do that, to, to better understand, like you said, to go beyond just the, the, the roots in this country, but to go back. Yeah, the roots were transatlantic. And even like St. Peter Claver, it's down, you know, near downtown where I'm the parish priest for, uh, it was set up in the 1890s because black Catholics were not being welcomed in the Irish and the German churches downtown. So the bishop at that time in Covington, because we were part of Covington as well, he set up the church on a second floor and made a chapel. And that's today we preserve that chapel. We got an award for um, preserving that. Um, And the reality is St. Catherine Drexel noticed the works that we were doing for preserving ministry to black Catholics that she gave us like $8,000 in like the early 1900s. That was a lot of money. Yeah. So she said, she said that if you don't um, continue ministering to black Catholics, then you have to repay that $8,000 with interest. That would be a lot. (laughs) A whole lot. So Drexel, Catherine, St. Catherine Drexel. So we literally have paperwork from her community. Wow. That's pretty cool. We don't have anything like that in our little parish. No, thank God. But you got Cardone. This is is precious. This is a pretty cool place. Uh, Some history here, but not that type of history. So you say you've kept the chapel. Is that? Yeah, we've we kept it as a chapel, but also a meeting space. So it's not the formal. It doesn't have like stained glass. It's just like a hall, Um, a a big gathering space. So that's on the. On the corner of 4th and Jefferson. Right. But it, you all tore down the old church. It wasn't part of the old church. Yeah. The, uh, our church that was there on the corner of 4th and Jefferson was built in 1948. And so it was cracking. It was sewage water was coming up every time there was a flood. It looked rough. Yeah. So we preserved everything. And that'll be there be reintroduced into the new church. Oh, cool. um, not the pews, of course. 
So are you, are you still in your temporary place? Or are you in a new church? We we've been in the hall, so right. I mean, I've yeah. been there, but that's been a couple of years. You're still in there. Yeah, we're still in the hall. Wow. It's been like six years, six years. Uh, so, uh, but we literally are going to be building the new church. Because I remember week. when I came to get some paperwork from you, if you remember that. For, right, for, right. You, <laughs> your desk was the worst. Desk <laughs> it's still I've the same seen. desk. <laughs> it's, I mean, this, it was two feet thick, just stuff piled. Up. And I don't know how you found my paperwork. It was I amazing. did, though, didn't I? It was a miracle. I think I did. It, it was a miracle. Holy Spirit. I hope I did. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a desk like that. It's, it's like ordered uh, chaos. <laughs> There's something to be said about ordered chaos. So you're you're in the middle of uh, a building campaign at your parish, right? Still predominantly African American, right? Very ethnic, very multicultural, um, but definitely has the presence of the Black Catholic community. And and you, and you have Koreans there, is it? Right? We have a Korean community that's right now they've been sort of quarantined, but now they're uh, definitely want to save their the Saturday vigil mass that they they they've been able to utilize in our space. And then also we've been opening up, and this is interesting. We used to just have uh, mass in Swahili with the Congolese refugee community. And now we have had it every Sunday because oh, wow. the, the commitment of father, the father Muth, Anthony Muthu, he's okay. a herald of good news. Um, he has spent time in the Congo and has ability to speak Swahili. And sometimes when he can't make it, I'll do the mass in English, but uh, they'd be rolling with the Swahili. <laughs> Just rolling. <laughs> We televised some, uh, Father Linda, some masses in Vietnamese, and That's we, we broadcast those out. And uh, it's always interesting to hear a a different language. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I always like I always like hearing you talk in Vietnamese. Like you answer the phone, you're on Vietnamese, but to see a mass, I mean, because you, you can follow along, right? You can you get certain parts of it. Like yes. how do you say Alleluia in Vietnamese? Alleluia. Okay. <laughs> Boy, you're a genius, Deacon Tim. <laughs> How do you how do you say that in Swahili? You know, so you get you get you get malele malele amen. Is that it? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of lot of cultural uh, diverse, a lot of cultural right. diversity. Right, we we, there. we uh, anchored ourselves in our Afrocentric. Um, we we understand our roots, so mm-hmm. we have African fabrics and uh, different aspects of Afrocentrism in our liturgy. And then we have gospel music sort of, uh, to continue on, uh, African-American tradition and, and music. So you have African drumming, African gospel or African-American gospel and African wares. We even have one Sunday. I think it's the last Sunday of the month is, uh, people just deck out in their African garbs. It's pretty cool. Have you live streamed any? Uh, yeah. Now that's what I've been blessed to experience. Cause we used to just record with a DVD and now we've just went to Facebook live like you guys and, um, I do Instagram live too, Insta live, whatever. IGTV. Yeah, so IGTV. What they, what they call that now. Yeah. There you go. So I have to check that out because the it's one of the things that I've been blessed to travel around the world, and see masses in some different places. But, mm-hmm. uh, always, you, you can always recognize the mass, even if you can't speak the language. Yeah, universal. You can you can speak the language of God so, mm-hmm. in the Catholic Church. So, so Peter so, Claver have a great choir. You know, when I was in Danville, I was introduced Peter Clay Choir to sing with us. So something I've been crossed my mind in regarding to see if they can come to celebrate Mass with us. To, to yeah, I suggested that we do our confirmations together outside with the bishop at, at Cardone. But he said, ah, I don't know about that. Well, we, we, roll <laughs> we already in, got 40 they roll, they roll over already. <laughs> we rolling over to the cathedral. Oh, you guys are going yeah. to the cathedral. You took the big house. Yes. <laughs> BYO Chrism. <laughs> <laughs> BYO BYO SC Now uh, we were talking earlier about uh, the the governor has increased the percent yeah. 50%, 50% 50% does that affect for us it doesn't affect us does it affect We can you? we can go there because um we've been we've not been allow you know having everyone sit beside each other so all we have to do now is put chairs in the rows for families as opposed to every family member gets a chair six feet apart and i'm like that's not really the best but we've done it that way and we haven't really had to turn anyone down so i think having families for sure in rows will be even better at our first communion a couple of weeks ago we had 450 at the oh sheesh. outside mass that's powerful <laughs> It was it was multiplication. <laughs> it was great to see that many people after three months, two months of yeah. I was tired of looking us. at pieces of uh, pictures, yeah. Xerox <laughs> copies of people's faces and chairs, but it worked for a minute. I wasn't so alone. No, I think that's the thing that uh, for for us, 
uh, you know, we were just doing the one mass basically, and we were doing weekday mass too. Uh, but liturgy is meant to be about community, obviously communion, community, and you just you just don't get that same feeling when you're looking at pictures, right? Right. <laughs> And the responses are not very good. Yeah. I mean, you guys are quiet today. <laughs> but also when you're wearing masks, it's like, did anybody say, who, who was that that said, said hallelujah? Because you can't really see whose, whose mouth is moving. <laughs> so are, they, are they responding? Yeah. One of the things you haven't done yet at our, our Father Lynn and our Cardone masses is you haven't stopped and said, all right, let's re-sing that song. Or you haven't stopped. Ooh, and say, Father Lynn is growing. Said, I can't hear you. Let's try this again. <laughs> You're getting old. No, it's not. You just say I'm following the compliance from the Bishop John. Move so along. Let's talk to, the better. To Move a T, right? To, to a T. He don't want them water droplets. There you go. That's what he used the word droplet, right? The droplet. <laughs> what the heck, the droplet? <laughs> Does anybody know? Corona. Well, virus I'm, I'm assuming that that droplet. means when your enunciation, when you enunciate, that enunciation propels droplets sp- from your mouth. They call it spittle. It's called spittle. 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 Uh, but, you know, if you have a mask on that contains the spittle, but it also decreases the sound. So um, well, let's let's just go back real quick here. I will post this uh, Father Cyprian Davis pledge for folks. Uh for a couple of reasons. One, I think if if you're if you're struggling with what to do, it'll give you a read, maybe spur some interest for you. Uh, it also has the name of Father Augustus Tolton. I'm assuming he was born in in North America. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, he was the son of runaway slaves. Okay, so that uh, that would be a a good. Uh, I'm assuming. Have you is it have either of you read that that book? Mm-mm. I the, know who he is. Yeah. Um, that would be a good read, I think, to get an understanding of uh, the prejudice that was going on at the time. I mean, he had to go to Rome to get ordained. That's He was trained by two Irish priests that were very amazingly compassionate and also very encouraging and great role models. And and so uh, I'm very proud of proud of the brother the brother priest that helped him out. Well, we'll, we'll definitely post that up, uh, you know, just to give some folks uh, some ideas. Uh, the other thing that I, I would be remiss if I didn't didn't say this, in the last, I don't know if you guys have really noticed, in the last 10 days, there's been a lot of bishop appointments. Mm, yeah. I heard of one down in New Orleans, a young guy, Troop, yeah. Toop. Toop. That's, uh, we had Gus Lloyd, you know who Gus Lloyd is? Mm-mm. He's a uh, Sirius XM 129, the Catholic Channel Sees the Day morning show. Mm. And we had him on last week, and that's his friend. And he oh. was, yeah, he was telling us that he cycles with one of his best friends as a priest, and within a week, he found out he was appointed a bishop. For, I think 48, 49 years old. Yeah, very yeah. young bishop. Very young bishop. Uh, but with that, Rocco Palmo, 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 who we've had on, you know, he is, right? The Church Whisperer. Mm, okay. No. That's he a does, no. That's a no. Anyway, Whisperologia. He whispers in the logia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, he breaks a lot of news. One of the things he tweeted out today was with the recent appointments, the number of black bishops in the U.S. decreased 40%. So went from having five to having three. Oh, I know. It's always a reality. you be next, bro. We're trying to find the first African-American, uh, first black saint, first of all, in the United States. We, haven't, we don't even have one. Wow. No, we don't. It's that. It's that tough. So, then, so Father Gus is told in. We have t- we have Hen- first. Henriette Delille. There's tons that are on the who are blessed, but like blessed Pierre Toussaint, you know, but not there yet. So it's just a tough. And it's that's about money and that's about grace and all that. But I I feel like you know, hopefully the Catholic Church and Pope Francis will say hey. Well, I mean, one of the things we Gotta talked get about. That going. One of the things we talked about a couple of weeks ago is uh, the founder of the Knights of Columbus, Father Michael J. McGivney, moved up a notch. Mm. And don't you think that that has something to do with the relationship between the Knights of Columbus and the Vatican? Eh. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think again, what we got money. Yeah, no, I mean, money is think- not. It, here's the truth: any canonization cause costs a lot of money. Any kind of canonization cause, regardless of whose ethnicity or whatever, um, it takes a lot of money to research. It takes a lot of money to 
advocate to finance. It's it's a lot. Investigate. Yeah, it's not cheap. Very expensive because my family are supporting Cardinal uh, Xavier Torn. Oh, and he's been blessed now. Man, the <laughs> amount blessed. of document, the money we raise. Mm. Talk about millions. It's phenomenal. Wouldn't it be nice if everything was free? <laughs> grace. I mean, if you just... That's heaven. Grace. Well, the grace is free. But I mean, you know, that things didn't cost money that would impede things that needed to be done. Sure. <clears throat> you know. No, it's required, you know, from, from the investigation. It requires a lot of uh, fly people in. To investigate about in, in consider about the miracles, mm-hmm. they have to go through process of investigation with doctors, and you know, the document with Cardinal Twan, I think like a couple hundred thousand pages, just for him. It, it phenomenal. This process ain't easy, so I'm not surprised how much it costs. Not because you know it's, it's bureaucracy in any way, but it requires the. The detail is required to investigation. So, does the church have bureaucracy? No. <laughs> How can it be? It's funny because it, it seems like we always talk about canonization on the show. You know, a few weeks ago it was Fulton Sheen and, and Rocco was on the, the problems we with talked about getting body his wars. body, and then uh, we talked about Father McGivney, and now we're we're talking about Augustus Tolton, 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 Augustus Tolton, mm-hmm. and he would be the first. Well, if it's not him, there would be the There'd first be others, you know. African-American saint. So could you put together a list of some reading material for us that we could post yeah, I can, up on I here? can work on that for yeah. you guys. And then can you also work on putting together a mission trip to Ghana? Hey, hey as soon as the travel restrictions go down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm game. You game? I'm game. You're retired. You game? Somebody covered churches for me. I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> that was a hesitant. Oh, I can go to Ghana anytime. I don't need to go to mission trip. <laughs> John P. Okwaku. Oh, there you go. We do mission trip over there. We can do mission trip to Vietnam. I'm, I'm game for that. Anyway, this is the part of the show where we talk about the saint of the day. We use uh, Franciscan media. Today's saint of the day is Blessed Yolenta of Poland, also known. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for June 12th. Today we celebrate Blessed Yolenta of Poland. Yolenta, also known as Yolanda, was the daughter of a Hungarian king. Her sister, who went on to become Saint Cunegunda, was married to the Duke of Poland. As a young girl, Yolenta was sent to Poland, where her sister was to supervise her education. Yolenta eventually married the Duke of Greater Poland. She used her material means to assist the poor, the sick, widows, and orphans. Meanwhile, she had a loyal worker at her side. Her husband joined her in building hospitals, convents, and churches so wholeheartedly that he was nicknamed the Pious. Upon the death of her husband and the marriage of two of her daughters, Yolenta and her third daughter entered the convent of the poor Clares. War forced them to move to another convent, where despite her reluctance, Yolenta was made abbess. She served her Franciscan sisters so effectively by word and example that her fame and good works continued to spread beyond the walls of the cloister. She was especially devoted to the Passion of Christ. Shortly before her death in in 1298, Yolenta reported that Jesus appeared to her, telling her of her coming death. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint Did y'all of the catch Day. that? Yeah. He made a mistake. No, I didn't catch. You didn't it's catch a, that? He said Saint, Saint of the Day. No, he, he was going for the date, and he said 19, and then he stopped. And they didn't edit that. I can't figure out how they didn't edit that out. What's up with that? I mean, Franciscan Media, we love you, but you produced a mistake. Anyway, it is what it is. Hey, Father Norman, thanks for coming. Hey, Deacon Tim, and good to be with everyone. We appreciate you guys. Thanks Glad for hosting us. In. Hey, we got a gift for you. Uh-oh. Yeah. Have you heard of Rugged Rugged oh, Rosary? Oh, Rugged Rosary. I was just thinking of a rosary the other, earlier today. You're I was at Benedictus. <laughs> you're, you're, well, I don't, they don't carry these at Benedictus. Oh, oh, oh. You're, you're going to like that. Thank you. 
This is a powerful weapon. It's it is. It's a real thing. It's, the, it's a real good one. Oh, man. Thank you, guys. I think it'll last forever. Parachute cord. We love it. So I like that metal beads. We, we thank you for coming. Glad you'll be uh, here with us. Yeah. Thank you, guys. I mean, the truth is, like, the Holy Father would totally be excited um, for this kind of show. And not just a show, but just a, a place where you can breathe and a place where you can just air out and let the Holy Spirit touch the word that's you all have it. You have a beautiful program line up and you know, your, your guests, you make your guests feel comfortable and, and the Holy spirit just comes through us. So thank you guys for hosting. Well, we, we definitely uh, appreciate you coming. We definitely focus on the discussion part. Talking is a good thing, mm-hmm. not texting and emailing. So we thank you for coming next week. We have fellow parishioner, Dan Elliott joining us. Dan's been the leader of RCIA for ever 12 years, 12 years. years, 12 years. Plus. Uh, you know, Dan Elliott, I'm sure. Don't you? So that'll be good to have a discussion with him. That'll be uh, taped. Uh, Also a reminder, just let us know if you know someone who you think should be on the show, and we'll go from there. I think you should have a Father Danny Taylor. Hey, that would be there. A good you go. One. That would be a good well, after, tomorrow. after tomorrow. After tomorrow, <laughs> ordination is tomorrow at the cathedral. Don't show up, <laughs> but pray. <laughs> but pray. Yeah, don't show. Limited up. seating. Sorry. As always, make sure you hit the like button on Facebook, and if you're watching on YouTube, hit subscribe and leave a comment. If listening to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or any other podcast site, hit subscribe, leave a review. It just helps us know that people are getting the message. Uh, most important, tell your friends. That's what we want. Father Norman, could you give us your blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. spirit. By every God's blessing, may the blessing of Almighty God come down now upon each of you and remain with you this day and always, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 St. John and St. Francis Sells. Pray Pray for for us. us. And until next week, I'm Deacon Tim. I'm Deacon Dallas. I'm Father Lynn. And I am Father Norm. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Good night. I won't sing this time. Did you ever stop and think? Why spend too much time just getting Where's the Oh. He's over here? I don't know a single thing that I so y'all went live and you recorded. My heart starts racing, but I don't know if I like this chasing and playing and waiting around. It's a shame that I'm such